those of you who are in small groups for Children of Compassion, have been uh, talking about the story this last week and how when we have folks in our lives that have gone prodigal and desire to come back, we should cultivate the Father's heart of compassion and run after them and bring them back into the fold. The hard thing about that is sometimes it's easier said than done, isn't it? There's a lot kind of going through our minds when people want to come back. We're trying to please the people around us. They've burned bridges with our other kids and with their friends and with our community. And I would love to cultivate the attitude of that father in this sketch here. And, and I'm always scared that I would soften it. You know, I, I try to bring back the prodigal and I kind of trip over my words. And I, I wouldn't make it as beautiful as, as this thing we saw here today. And you know what? Are you guys still back there? Hey, come back out. Come back out. I have an idea. This is going to be fun. <laughs> hey, uh, prodigal, uh, prodigal's father. Greg, you know me. You know that I'm kind of a wuss and not a super <laughs> emotional guy. If I was the father, could you play it that way? Like me, Danny, the dad, <clears throat> kind of the passive kind of guy? Uh, we'll give it a shot. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Okay. So while he was still a long way off, the father saw him, but he, he didn't think it would be best to show how he truly felt. I mean, he was afraid of what the neighbors might think. My son, it is my son. I'm so excited to see him. Oh, but I must not be too quick to welcome him home. He might not realize how wrong he has been and how much he has hurt his mother and me. So the father waited, you know, curbing his desire to go to his son until finally the, the young man staggered through the doorway. Father, I've, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but if I could be one of your employees. No, I can't do that. That would make me look bad in front of the firm's partners and employees. <laughs> you know, you have hurt your mother deeply. I know. I know, and I'm ashamed of it. Well, that's all right. Don't worry about it. Can you ever forgive me? We'll see. <laughs> Go. Get out of those ragged clothes and, and take a shower. Destroy those clothes and bring a suit. One that his brother no longer uses will be fine. <laughs> Father, I'll do my best to be worthy of your forgiveness. You've made life almost unbearable for your mother. We'll see if you've really changed. That is, that is just as emotional, but it's a different emotion, isn't it? It's like, uh, that's what I, one of the reasons it's hard for me to go and, and engage with someone who's coming back is I'm scared I'm going to look like that father instead. And, and I want to lavish love and forgiveness and grace and, Yet it's so risky. What if they go back to the way they used to be? What if they burn the bridges again? And sometimes I kind of try to ramp myself up for that conversation. And, and I feel like the older brother, you know, the angry older brother. And since we're having fun here, let's, let's do something. Let's see if we can, let's make the older brother go after the younger brother and give him a piece of his mind. You guys want to do that? It'll be fun. Let's do that. Come on through. One more time, huh? One more time, yeah. It's going right. to be good. Run. So while he was still a long way off, <laughs> the older brother received a text message that one of his friends had seen him. 
He was filled with rage that his younger brother would dare to show his face, especially after the reports of his debauchery had reached the family. I, I can't believe my younger brother would come back in such a wretched condition. How, how dare he? And you know my father, such a softy. I got it. I'm going to head him off. And, uh, and before he gets a chance to weasel his way back to my father's good graces. So the elder son drove down the road to intercept him. He went to where his brother was resting by the side of the road and put his face almost nose to nose with his brother. Brother! Don't you brother me. You are no brother of mine, you scum. How dare you come back here? I, ch I came back to say I'm sorry. Tell my father that, tell our father that I sinned against him and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called his son, but if I could just be one of his employees. You got guts, that's for sure. And you got it half right. You're not worthy to be called any person's son. So why don't you go back to whatever gutter or hole that you came from before I put you there back to myself? I, if you could just let me talk to Father. <laughs> In any way, I need food before I can travel oh, again. Oh, oh, you need food? No, 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 no. What you need is to wallow in your own self-pity and filth. You disgust me. <laughs> and Father, he already thinks you're dead. Why don't you do everyone here a favor and make that a fact? But, but I thought, I, I hoped. Don't, don't, don't tell me your hopes. I honestly could care less. I have been working like a slave since you left, doing your job as well as mine. If you don't turn around right now, I'm going to give you exactly what you deserve. Now get out of here. Let's give these guys an applause. They were on their feet. Josh just put an extra thousand steps on his pedometer, so we're having a good day. Oh, man. It's funny, when someone has wandered off and is caught in sin and they're thinking of coming back, we read what the Bible says about the father of the prodigal who opens his arms and his home and his family and his pocketbook again and it's sometimes the way that the Bible describes life seems a little bit out of touch with reality. You know, in our minds, we have the aggressive idea. We want to just give this guy a piece of our mind. Or, or maybe we take that passive approach and we say, you know what, I want to bring the kid back, but he needs to understand how much he's hurt us. He needs to understand what he's done to his mother. He needs to understand what he's done to this family. He needs to understand that if he comes back, things had better be different this time. That he's on thin ice, he's at the end of his rope. And a lot of times we take what the scriptures say and we feel like it doesn't really connect with reality too much. And so what we do is we take the biblical practices and principles and then we take kind of what seems good to us and we mix them together. You know, we say, you know what, I should be a forgiving person, that's good. And ultimately I want this kid to be forgiven, but I also have to be careful. And I also have to make sure he knows how bad his sin really was. And I also want to make sure that he knows that the gravity of his actions has affected our community. He needs to know how mad I am. And so, yeah, forgive, grace, mercy, all that is wonderful. But let's mix that with a little bit of a piece of my mind as well. The problem is all three of these verses is really messy. It always seems good to yell at somebody. And then when you watch someone else yell at someone else, you realize that doesn't solve anything. And that first story is so impactful, so emotional, so exciting. And then the other two just... 
they fall flat. And it's not just because we know what the real version should be. It's because we hope for the real version to happen. There's a story in Scripture. Actually, there's a whole book in the Bible that's devoted to telling the stories of people who are mixing a little bit of God's truth with whatever seems best to them. Larry mentioned this last week. It's the book of Judges. And today, if you could turn to Judges chapter 21, we'll see in that chapter a story of a community of people who are trying to welcome a prodigal home. They realize they've been alienated from one of their brothers and they want him back, but they really haven't heard the Luke 15 prodigal son story yet. And so they're just kind of doing what seems best to them and stumbling along. And so disclaimer on the book of Judges, don't try these things at home. This is the one book of the Bible that you read it and don't apply it to your life. Twice in this story, these last three chapters of Judges, the author of Judges tells us that these were different times. This is when the people just did what they thought was best. Don't try this at home. But this is the story of the 11 tribes of Israel trying to figure out how to welcome the 12th tribe, Benjamin, back into the fold again after Benjamin had sinned and gone prodigal. So let me read all of Judges chapter 21. And we'll hear the attempts of the Benjamites to bring their, or sorry, the attempts of Israel to bring the Benjamites back home again. Remember, don't try this at home. The men of Israel had taken an oath at Mitzpah, not one of us will give our daughter in marriage to a Benjamite. The people went to Bethel where they sat before God until evening, raising their voices and weeping bitterly. Lord God of Israel, they cried, why has this happened to Israel? Why should one tribe be missing from Israel today? Early the next day, the people built an altar and presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Israelites asked, who from all the tribes of Israel has failed to assemble before the Lord? For they had taken a solemn oath that anyone who failed to assemble before the Lord at Mitzpah was to be put to death. Now the Israelites grieved for the tribe of Benjamin, their fellow Israelites. Today one tribe is cut off from Israel, they said. How can we provide wives for those who are left since we've already taken an oath by the Lord not to give them any of our daughters in marriage? Then they asked which one of the tribes of Israel failed to assemble before the Lord at Mitzpah. They discovered that no one from Jabesh Gilead had come to the camp for the assembly. For when they counted the people, they found that none of the people of Jabesh Gilead were there. So the assembly sent 12,000 fighting men with instructions to go to Jabesh Gilead and put to the sword those living there, including the women and children. This is what you're to do, they said. Kill every male and every woman who's not a virgin. Then they found among the people living in Jabesh Gilead 400 young women who had never slept with a man, and they took them to the camp at Shiloh in Canaan. Then the whole assembly sent an offer of peace to the Benjamites at the Rock of Rimmon. So the Benjamites returned at that time and were given the women of Jabesh Gilead who had been spared, but there were not enough for all of them. The people grieved for Benjamin because the Lord had made a gap in the tribes of Israel. And the elders of the assembly said, With the women of Benjamin destroyed, how shall we provide wives for the men who are left? The Benjamin survivors must have heirs, they said, so that a tribe of Israel will not be wiped out. Can't we give them our daughters as, or we can't give them our daughters as wives, since we, the Israelites, have taken this oath, cursed be anyone who gives a wife to a Benjamite. But look. There's an annual festival of the Lord in Shiloh, which lies north of Bethel, east of the road that goes from Bethel to Shechem, and south of Lebona. So they instructed the Benjamites, saying, Go and hide in the vineyards and watch. When the young women of Shiloh come out to join the dancing, rush in from the vineyards, and each one of you sees one to be your wife. Don't try this at home. <laughs> then return to the land of Benjamin. When their fathers or brothers complain to us, we will say to them, 
do us the favor of helping them because we did not get wives for them during the war. You won't be guilty of breaking your oath because you did not give your daughters to them. You did not give your daughters to them. So that's what the Benjamites did. While the young women were dancing, each one, man caught one and carried her off to be his wife. Then they returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the towns and settled in them. At that time, the Israelites left that place and went to their own tribes and clans, each to his own inheritance. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Let's pray as we dive in. Let's pray together. Father, we admit to you that when people have gone prodigal and are far from us, we want them back. And sometimes we do weird things to get them back. And so we resonate with the story a little bit, yet we admit we don't understand uh, a lot of things that people did in those days. And we pray that you would help us to understand how we might welcome lost sinners back into our community. And that we would be men and women and parents and children and families that have open arms like that father of the prodigal son. She would help us to have the faith and the courage to take that risk to welcome people back and to do it in a way that's honoring to you and exciting for them and good for our family. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Benjamites had done a really bad thing. There were 12 tribes of Israel. Benjamin was one of them and they got caught up in this terrible scandal where one of the cities of Benjamin, the men, surrounded the house of a man who had an overnight guest. And it was kind of like the Sodom and Gomorrah story. They were pounding on the door and saying, send that guest out, send that traveler out, we want to sleep with him. And the owner of the house said, no, please, this guy's a visitor on our land, please leave us alone. And, and they wouldn't leave him alone. And so finally the owner of the house sent out this young woman from the house. And this gang of men violated this woman all night long and killed her. She found her way scrambling to the front door before she died and died there on the porch of this home. And when word of what happened got to all the tribes of Israel, they were furious. How could God's people act in this way? I mean, they knew enough about the Bible to know about Sodom, to know about Gomorrah, to know about what happens when you treat strangers and aliens in your land this way, when you violate people, when you pound down people's doors, and when you take advantage of people that way. And they said, this has to stop. And so they went to Benjamin. They brought 10% of all of their men, and they went to the towns of Benjamin, and they said, come out. We want to see those men who violated this woman, and they need to be put to death for their sin. But the tribe of Benjamin said, no, you're not getting our men. And a war ensued. The people of Benjamin fought against the 11 tribes of Israel. And the tribes of Israel ended up winning the war and killed everyone in the tribe of Benjamin. Every man, every woman, every child except for 600 men who ran away and hid at this rock called Rimmon. The Israelites went home and started to assemble again. And at some point realized that one of their brothers was about to die to them. That there were supposed to be 12 tribes of Israel. There's supposed to be 12 families assembled when they assembled, but Benjamin was missing. Benjamin was wiped out. Benjamin had sinned. Benjamin deserved it, but they didn't want Benjamin to be gone forever. And even though this story seems like it happened thousands of years ago and can never happen today, a lot of us feel those same emotions because we've gone through those same types of things in life. We've had people in our family who have sinned grievously and discipline happened. 
We've had people who have been living in our homes and abusing substances, and we've had to have a hard line and say, you need to stop or you need to go, and sometimes they left. We've had people in our lives, friends of ours, we've had fighting, and there's been decept- or separating and divorce in our friendships and our relationships, and, and they've walked away from us, and we knew that we had to do it, but it's hard. It's hard to see your child alienated from you. Must have been hard for that father to see his son in a faraway land and just wonder what was happening to him. When we have times when people that we love are alienated from God and alienated from us and alienated from community and dying in their sin, we want them back. We want them back in our families. We want them back with God. We want them back where they're supposed to be, but... But they're gone. The 11 tribes of Israel got together one morning and they wept and they prayed and they grieved. Because even though Benjamin's sin was grievous, they missed him. There was a piece of their family that was missing. And some of you had those moments where you, you have a hard conversation. It's a come to Jesus meeting and it doesn't work and they leave. It's an intervention that they get up and they storm off or it's a fight that ends all fights and they're gone. And you say things that you regret. If you leave this house, don't ever come back again. I'm not going to do this again. We're not going to forgive you again. It's over. Get out of here. And the tensions rise and you're so angry and you go to bed and then you wake up and you think, what have I done? They're gone and they're gone for good. And you start thinking about what Thanksgiving will look like with an empty chair at the table. What it's going to feel like to never see your grandkids someday because of what you said last night and you grieve and you come to the Lord and you pray like these Israelites prayed. Lord God of Israel, why is this happening to us? Why should one be missing from our family today? They wanted Benjamin back. But the problem is they said things that they regretted to Benjamin. They made an oath that None of their people would give their daughters to marry a Benjamite. And they knew that these 600 men could probably survive in the wilderness for a little while, but without wives, there would be no children. Without children, there'd be no grandchildren. Without children and grandchildren, there'd be no Benjamin after one generation. And so these Benjamites, if they were going to come back to the family, they needed to get married and settle down and start over. But they had put their feet in their mouth by saying, no, no man or No man in our country is going to give his daughter to marry one of those people. And so they started devising this plan. Okay, we need to get wives for the Benjamites. We need to bring them back, but we can't give our daughters. And and so they decided, okay, let's do this. They had this big meeting, and one, one city didn't show up at the meeting. And so they said, you know what, let's do this. Let's go to that city, and let's kill everybody. Don't try this at home. Let's kill everybody. Kill all the men, kill all their wives, kill all their kids, and kill everyone except for any unmarried women Take them back, and they can marry the Benjamites. Good plan. So they go after this town, and they kill everyone except for these 400 women who were not yet married. And they took these women, and they said, hey, congratulations, your families are dead, but you get to marry these outcasts. And so they let them marry the Benjamites. So 400 of the 600 Benjamite men had wives, and there were 200 left who had no wives. And so they said, okay, what can we do? Because we don't want to just kill another city. That seems like it's messed up. And so they decided, (laughs) next time there's a party... We're going to send those 200 Benjamites out like on a wife hunting mission. And so they're going to go to the party. They're going to hide in the bushes. Real story. They're going to hide in the vineyard. 
And when the young ladies come out to do the little dance number, because women like to go to parties and do those little dance numbers they do, when they come out to dance, rush in like a bunch of creepy guys, steal these women, and bring them, drag them kicking and screaming back to be your wife. And their dads will be mad, but we'll deal with their dads. So they go to the dad and say, hey, come on, cut us a break. I know your daughter was just kidnapped and forced to marry one of these outlaws, but we all made oaths that none of us could give our daughters to marry them, and you technically didn't give your daughter to marry them. Get it? Great plan. Really great plan. Again, this is why the author of Judges says twice in this story, in those days Israel had no king, everyone did as they saw fit. And we can laugh at those people, and we can make fun of the Israelites, and we think, why would they ever do something like this? But the scary thing is, when we find ourselves alienated from people we love, and we've said things that we regret, and we can't take back, we always find really dumb ways to try to get back together with them. Have you notice that? So you have a child who's kind of dating somebody that you don't approve of, you don't want them with them, and you're fighting about it, and you say, listen, if you stick with her, we don't approve. Like, well, uh, what does that mean? Well, that means that I'm not going to the wedding. Like, you're not going to the wedding? No. Like, if you're not going to go to my wedding, I'm done. Fine, leave, right? And so they leave, and then they get engaged, and you start thinking, oh, no, I said I wasn't going to go to the wedding. And you don't want to take that back because you've got to stand your ground. And so you say something like, hey, I got your invitation, and you know your dad and I don't approve of this. And we said we weren't going to go to the wedding, but you know what? We're going to go to the reception. We're going to go to the reception. And, and we think that if in a few months, um, if you guys want to get um, married again, you can come to the church with our pastor, and, and we'll do a little private ceremony there. And they're like, no, I don't want to do that. Like, well, I'm just trying to hold our ground. We're trying to do the right thing. And it all blows back up again. Ever had something dumb like that happen to you? You've got people in your life, and you say, if you leave, she's done it. You say, if, if you leave now... Don't ever step foot in this house again. And they say, fine, and they slam the door, and they leave, and you're mad, and they're mad. Then you wake up, and you're sad, and you want them to come back and be in your family again. But you said never step foot in this house. And so you say, uh, maybe we can meet at Starbucks or something. You know, it's not technically our house. Um, maybe we can move, and it's a different house now, so that counts again. And, and we have this tension because we've said things that we regret, and but we feel like we're trying to stand some sort of ground and, and we can't go back on what we said. And, and so instead we find these new awkward paths to try to rekindle the relationship. And the hard thing with that, as silly as it seems, is that when we try to rekindle a broken relationship in those really weird ways, we have a semblance of a relationship with that sinner in our life, but it's never a good one. When we just show up at the reception and we feel like we're doing them a favor at the wedding, they don't look at it that way. People are all asking your kids, why are your parents just showing up at the reception? Oh, they're religious people, and they decided that this is what they're going to do. It doesn't help anything. When you tell your child that they're not welcome to come back in your home again, and then you meet them at Starbucks like you're doing them a favor, they don't feel like you're doing them a favor. They feel like your religion is a really weird one where you obey really strange rules but ignore compassion and love and forgiveness. That's what they feel like. And it's hard because they're off doing crazy things, and so they're not thinking straight. But we don't know what to do. All we want to have is a semblance of a relationship. So we'd rather hang out at Starbucks and go to wedding receptions than never see our children or our friends or our family or whoever it is that we're alienated from again. 
And we try to kind of patch back relationships in these awkward ways. And the problem is then they just kind of stumble and limp along for a long, long time. Now, that's what happened here. These Benjamites, they, they did. They deserve punishment. Those men who raped and killed this woman, they deserve to be punished for their sins. Benjamin shouldn't have fought up against Israel. They should have just given up these men. All that should have happened. Hindsight's 20-20, right? But when it escalates and it gets weird and all you want is that relationship back, how do you get it? How do you rekindle a relationship with a prodigal? And the hard thing is, in the prodigal son story, we see that father, but it is complicated. If that father embraces that son, he's telling his other son, the older son, hey, you're about to lose some more money because I'm going to give your brother his inheritance back. And it's costly. He wants, we want that, that kid who's gone prodigal to know how much they've hurt us. And so we tell them, and it gets awkward. Now, the interesting thing is, in the prodigal son story, it was an awkward story, too. You know, it's beautiful at the beginning. You know, the father lavishes this love on the son and, and brings him back. But at the end of the end, you know that part right here where the older son and the dad are talking? And that's the father beginning to try to fix this relationship that's broken now with his older kid. And we know that that's true, that if we start bringing people back, it's going to break our relationship with other people. The people who come to us and say, hey, you said you weren't going to let that kid back in your home. What are you doing? Well, I just want to forgive him. Well, if you can't get soft now, they need to learn their lesson, right? So we start getting in these fights with other people. And so that's why we end up in that passive thing where we say, you can come back, but here are the rules. and Because it's complicated. And I know there's a lot of you out there saying, okay, good, he's about to give us the answer to fix our problems. (laughs) But the hard thing is there really is no answer that fixes our problems in these things. And that's the reason that it's so complicated. Because the Bible doesn't say, hey, if you've got a son that's off the deep end and they come back and you welcome them back, it's all going to be perfect. And the Bible allows for the fact that there's going to be conflict. That father might look like an idiot when the son goes off again. That older son might lose his relationship with the father forever. That might kill the marriage between the father and the mother because they're disagreeing on these things. There are a lot of complicated issues when people sin because sin is a destructive thing that destroys the person who's doing it and everyone around them. And so when they come back, it's hard. I guess the question is not how will you make it easy and perfect. The question is, Are you going to fight and struggle awkwardly with your alienated loved one? Or are you going to fight and struggle awkwardly towards reconciliation with your loved one? And you can't control that. Sometimes they don't want reconciliation. Sometimes the things that you said in that last fight are going to cause wounds that last years and years. And sometimes the person who's doing that sin and who's stuck in that repeated cycle, they don't want to come home. Or you know that if they come home, they're not really hitting rock bottom yet, so they're just going to be out on the street again. And so you're still having to practice that tough love. So this doesn't talk about all those things. It's talking about when reconciliation comes onto the horizon, when that son is coming home and he's got his tail between his legs and he wants to be back in your family. That's what the father had been praying for since he left. So are we people that are praying for those things? When we have those come to Jesus meetings and they don't turn out well and the person walks out the door, do we chase them and say, no, 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 I was just kidding, I was just kidding, keep doing your sin, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. Or do we let them go and then hit our knees and pray that they'll come back? Because there's a line, there's a tension between justice and judgment and mercy and compassion. 
that there's a time for punishment, there's a time for discipline, there's a time for all of those things, and some of you had that time. There's a time to watch your son walk away with all your money and think, what have I done? But then the rest of the time is the father standing on the porch, it seems, just waiting for the son to come back. And, and when they come back, the prodigal son tells us how the father receives them. So for us to cultivate the heart of the fathers it is to not just chase after and build broken relationships out in the world with our alienated loved ones. Cultivating the heart of the father in the prodigal son story is praying for reconciliation, looking for change, and embracing anything that looks like a semblance of coming back this way again and grabbing them before they can run away again and saying, come back home, we love you, here's your bed, we haven't changed your room, here, just be here with us and we love you. That's the beautiful thing about the prodigal son story. It was a messy story. A father gave up a third of his stuff to his son so he could squander it and then pray that he'd return and then hugged him and ruined his relationship with his other kids. And, and it's the most beautiful story we've ever heard. And it's funny, that, that's the story of us, right? That's, we're the prodigals. We're the ones who squandered everything the father gave us and we ran away from him and we ignored him and we went our own way. And then one day all of us came to our knees and said, what am I doing? There's a God that I didn't know existed or I didn't act like existed. I need to give him my life and I don't know if he'll accept me. But we come to him and he runs to us and he embraces us. And we expect a lecture. We expect punishment. We expect him to say, you can come into my kingdom, but you have to just clean toilets in a bar for the rest of your life or whatever. But the father puts his robe upon us and he puts his righteousness upon us and he brings us into the family. And it costs him everything. And it ruins his relationship with his own son who died so that that could be possible. And he did all that because his heart was for reconciliation. Life is going to be messy. Whether you chase after your kid and try to build a broken relationship in an alienated world or you stay at home and you pray and then you do your best to bring them back into the fold and bear with them while they're struggling to get clean in your house. Whatever it is, it's going to be hard and messy and costly. But if we were to be people who have the heart of the Father, we are going to be people who celebrates when lost people return. We are people who are willing to pay the cost that it takes of humiliation or financial or whatever it is because we love nothing more than reconciling people to God, reconciling people to each other, and bringing them back home where they belong. And that probably doesn't give you the nice little bow on it answer that you need with what's going on in your life. And maybe it does. Maybe you're trying to decide if it's okay to have that come to Jesus meeting. Sometimes it is. Maybe you're trying to decide if it's okay to bring your son or your daughter or your friend back into the community again. And sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not a good idea. But if we can cultivate hearts of the Father and wait and love and pray for prodigals to come home and then celebrate with them and give of ourselves to bring them back, I think we'll be doing a lot better than the time of the judges when people just did as they saw fit. Let's spend some time and close in prayer this morning. And if you've got something that you're dealing with that you can't figure out on your own, I'd encourage you after this time in service to go out to the prayer room and pray with somebody else about it. To talk to somebody who does have a heart of compassion, like the Father, to say, here's what I'm dealing with. What do I do with this? And let's trust the Lord that as he develops our hearts into his, that we will not be like the people who had no king, because he is our king. Let's pray.
Father, those of us who have friends and family who have gone astray want nothing more than for them to come home. Some of us have been dreaming about that day for a long, long time. And some of us need the courage to have that hard conversation of discipline to remove someone from our community. And we pray that you would give us the courage to do that and give us the the strength and self-control to have that conversation in a grace-filled, merciful way. Some of us are trying to struggle with, should we go after our lost son or daughter or friend, or should we wait for them to come back? We pray that you would give us wisdom to know when it's time to pursue and when it's time, like the father in this story, to just wait and pray. And for those of us who have opportunities to welcome home a lost son or daughter or friend, we pray that you would give us, give us the courage and the wisdom to know when we need to show tough love and when we can embrace and reconcile and sacrifice to bring someone back into the fold again. We pray that you would give us the hearts like the people of Israel who cried out, we want our brother Benjamin back. But you'd give us the actions of the father in the prodigal son story who didn't just do what he saw fit, but did the right thing, who looked for the right things, who prayed for the right things and celebrated the right things. Let us be like the father and not the younger son and not the older son, but the father who loves reconciliation and bringing people back together again. We pray that you would give us that attitude towards the sinners in our lives, the sinners in this world. And so that our community, as we love each other and love lost people, would be known as a place where sinners can come home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.